If you don't mind, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter number two. Matthew chapter number two is where we're going to take our text. We're going to kick off a series over the next four weeks, counting this week, on taking the Christmas story and seeing the applicable parts to our lives today. Um, I don't know about you, this is one of my favorite times of year. Anybody say yes to that? Um, I think they did an incredible job decorating the stage. They do a wonderful job every year, and we're thankful for them. Um, I, I'm excited to see what God's going to do this year. Um, we're coming off of one of the largest feeding events that we've ever taken place in. And I do think I need to stop for a moment, even in the middle of a sermon, and thank God for the 89 volunteers that made that happen the other week. And that was amazing. Um, I, we had one get saved. I don't know if anybody has announced that yet, but someone got saved in the parking lot of our Thanksgiving dinner. And I think that's an amazing, amazing truth. I think you fed over 500 people plus, and, and, and it was just awesome to see. One of the things I love about this time of year is uh, people become generous, people become aware, and I hope that our world still has a little bit of that left in them. I know we have changed recently and in, in, in recent times with the way that people behave with other people, but I'm, I'm praying and I'm hoping that as we are adjusting in our spiritual walk, that we're becoming more aware of the needs of the people around us, that we're looking out for the interest of others too. Christmas story is all about heaven noticing mankind and their need. And God not sitting back saying, wow, they're so messed up, I don't want anything to do with them. But instead, God saying, they're so messed up, I got to get to them. And so he sent his son, right? And we know the stories, and hopefully you're taking time with your children to go through this, and hopefully you're setting a precedence of Jesus in front. I know there's a lot of excitement in this season. I got a little girl who is noticing Christmas lights like never before and, and, and is so excited about this holiday season. It's a it's new experience for our house. Lincoln has always tolerated our Christmas cheer, but Canaan is like full-fledged, let's go. She's got one little Jesus dress that has the manger scene on it that seems to be the, the thing that needs to be worn the most. And, and and my heart bursts with that, but it, it, it's my job as a parent now, my wife's job as a parent now, to come together to make sure that she realizes that what's under the tree is not as important as who's in your heart. Not, not, not that this is bad, but this is not the reason we celebrate. The reason we celebrate is Jesus Christ. So the other day, we were sitting there, um, I think yesterday, um, as we watched some miracles happen in the SEC championship game, and, and we, uh, we watched, I'm sorry, you'll appreciate it, but nobody else, maybe Glenda. We watched our daughter sitting over there with our little boy, Grayson, and we have this toy nativity scene that we have bought last year, and we keep it on the, on the base of our fireplace. And she was sitting there, and she was like, Grayson, this is a little boy who God came and he came, he was born in a manger. The next day he grew up and died. <laughs> and, and after that, he came back alive. And you know, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking in my heart, that's it. You don't have to know all the ins and outs, but that's your four-year-old little heart can understand. The next day he grew up, he died. You know, and I'm just telling you this right now, we, we need to understand even as we're giving in generosity, even as we're looking into the needs of others, that what we do today makes tomorrow matter. It brings tomorrow's possibilities. But I don't like to preach the same thing every year when it comes to Christmas. I don't know how you study the Bible, but I like to study the Bible in the here and the now, looking at the past to establish the present. And in this, as I read through Matthew chapter number two, I noticed a trend. I noticed that Joseph got thrown a lot of curveballs in one chapter. 
that as he was sitting here, I mean, here's a dude that we find in Luke is in Bethlehem to do what? Pay his taxes. All right. The IRS of the day had called him and said, you got to go to your hometown and you got to do that. Curveball number one, load up your virgin pregnant wife who's about nine months and let's get her on a donkey and let's take her to a town that is not your hometown. And when you get there, by the way, there's not going to be anywhere for you to sleep and you're going to have to hang out in a cave, which we now call a manger, right? Um, and, and, and there she's going to give birth. I mean, anybody else say this is how you wanted your, your, your portfolio or your scrapbook of your baby birthing moment to start with a story that nobody believes in a location that you don't belong in a cave where nobody is at with no medical equipment, no staff. Here's the curveball. Here's the son of God. Then you see that, and this is where we'll pick up in Matthew 2. Matthew 2 kind of gives us a, a vision into the wise men and Herod as they make their entrance into the, Chris, uh, uh, into the Christmas story. And you'll see in verse number three of Matthew chapter number two, that King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. And then it goes on and says, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And, and, and what were they afraid of? The wise men had just showed up and said, where is this baby? Where is this newborn? And here's the word that they hated, king. And I have found this to be true. We still hate that word today. It's not that we don't love our savior. It's we don't like his lordship. And if we're not careful, we want him as savior and not king. We want him as friend, not leader. We want him as brother, not shepherd. We want him to be what we want him to be, but we don't want him to be the lead of our lives. And all of Jerusalem is upset, and Herod is upset. Why? Because something is now threatening their authority. And Herod's deeply disturbed. So the wise men are coming to worship and they've been following a star and, 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 and we find this to be true that that first curveball, it was thrown to Joseph to fulfill a prophecy of God. And you see that if you went to verse number five in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Curveball one, prophecy fulfilled. Now look at the next curveball that gets thrown. You see this story where they, they have a private meeting with Herod, the wise men. They go and they find Jesus. By the way, the, the wise men at the manger is not the true scene. I'm not saying go take it off of your mantles and all that other stuff. But the wise men showed up when Jesus was about two. And you see this in this passage. They entered the house where Jesus was. They didn't go to a, a manger scene. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. Please don't get upset with this. It's not going to change your religion, nor is it changing your status in heaven. But the truth is they show up a couple years later. Jesus and Mary still hanging out in this region and they show up, they find him, they worship him, they give him gifts. Anybody want to join me? What do they give him? Somebody tell me. Gold, what? Frankincense and myrrh. Matter of fact, you know what's good about this is two things. Number one, Bethlehem. Hey, even though you're the least, you can still produce something great. What a hopeful message for you and me. Even though we might be from the poorest of the poor, even though our family might not have a God lineage or history, God can raise a ruler in our hearts and do something amazing through us. Don't ever think you're an underdog today. There is no such thing in the story of God. God uses humble people to do and accomplish incredible things. What a beautiful story of Christmas. 
But then you see, as they go in, they give their things. I, lesson number two, the wise men didn't show up with what was left over in the bank account. They showed up with the best they had to offer. Maybe we take that into our mind when it comes to our generosity. We don't give people out of our attics this Christmas. We don't give to the homeless out of our, we don't need it anymore this Christmas. We give the best that we can give in hopes that through the best that we can give, possibilities are born in them. Think about Mary and Joseph's situation here. They are not loaded. They are not well-equipped. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on this, but Joseph was a carpenter that we know nothing about his business, and we never learn anything about his business other than that's what he did. Mary, she was the mother of Jesus. They're on a donkey living in a cave at beginning when Jesus is born. We have no idea their residence in Bethlehem. It's good to know this. Get this in your mind. There's a great possible chance that Joseph and Mary had no funding to take the next three trips that God called them to take until the wise men showed up. And the wise men gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's a whole message here that I believe that God wants to take his people, his kingdom, to the ends of the world, but the church has got to stop showing up with leftovers and got to start showing up with, hey, I'm going to give God my best, believing that God can take us somewhere. Which for that, I want to say this to you, and I want to say I'm very proud. In the month that normally is the lowest in giving, November and December, y'all have surpassed your entire year's giving in just a month's time. And I'm going to tell you what's happened. People have called us and said, hey, someone was in a head-on collision with a drunk driver, and, 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 and they cannot go home until somebody builds them a ramp, and we're able to dial up our paid staff, send them over with funding, and get a ramp in, and do all these things. Why? Because people are showing up with gold, Frank incense and myrrh and not leftovers. I'm proud of you, church. You fed 500 plus people through your generosity and your labor. You're good people. But don't let bad circumstances keep you from being good and generous as you go forward. This morning, I was, I was in my prayer time with Garrett, a doorbell rang, and we stuck our heads out the door to Miss Whitney opened the door to a family in our church who is so faithful to make sure they bring so many supplies to our food pantry, and they walked in bag after bag to go in and make sure that some of you who do not have groceries today would have full supply and full stock. Our freezer went from totally empty to totally full in a two-day period. Why? Because people are showing up with their best, and they're financing what God wants to do in other people's lives. We got to look at the wise men and say, we're thankful that because of their faithfulness, Jesus wasn't murdered by Herod. That they had the ability to flee to Egypt. That Jesus, when he was returning, wasn't taken on by Herod's son and had the ability to flee to Galilee. Curveball number two. After the wise men leave, look at this. It says they show up after the wise men were gone. Verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with this child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt and with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Second curveball, prophecy fulfilled. Now you got to go to a land where eventually your people will be uh, understood to be conquerors of this place. They'd already left it as slaves, but now we're going back. Have you ever noticed this? I love this. This is the true meaning to me. When you see Moses and you see Jesus, you see a parallel. You see Moses stepping up an Old Testament symbol of what Jesus would become. 
Moses is stepping into the place where people were held captive and leading his captives free. Jesus is born. And where does he go? To the place that represents captivity and brokenness. And God is going to call his son out of there. I know that looks like such an insignificant statement, but it is a huge symbol of the fact that Jesus, from the moment he was born, was stepping into captive places to lead people out. And today, I don't know where you are. We've got to have this mindset and belief system that God is still stepping in to the darkness of people to bring them to the light. He's still invading broken spaces to bring healing, still invading prisons to get freedom. Jesus is still setting people free. But in the midst of, hey, here's the plan. Now we got the baby. Now we're raising the son of God. We're in Bethlehem. This is where we're supposed to be. Now now you got to go to Egypt. Curveball two. Curveball 3 is verse 21. In 19, Herod dies. Angel appears to Joseph in a dream, says, get up, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Please write this down. That God sometimes puts you in a place of safety to work on the enemy so that he can bring you out to the place you need to be. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't like the curveballs of God. As a matter of fact, if we're going to name today's sermon, we're going to call it when God takes a twist and a turn. Or we could call it when God plays twister. At some points of our lives, I see it. Anybody ever have a dream and a vision of where you want to go, a thing you want to accomplish, something you want to see happen? How many of you got that for your life right now? Something you feel like God is calling you to? One of our youth asked me Wednesday night when we were talking about dreams and vision, they were saying, how do you know when a dream and vision is of yourself and when a dream and a vision is from God? And I was like, that is a beautiful thing. And so we came up with a few little things real quick. The dream and vision God has for your life will never have evil as part of its process. You'll never step on anybody's back. You'll never change anyone. You'll never have to talk down about someone to get ahead. The dream and vision God has for your house does not have to take a shortcut nor a cutthroat to get there. It's a peace and reliance that knowing by obedience you're going in the right direction. So a dream and vision that's of God will fulfill the desires of your heart, but are not all about the desires of your heart. They're about the glory of God. And sometimes we think, well, this is a dream for my life. If the only person that benefits from the dream of your life is you, it is not a dream and vision from God. How many of you got that? Say, got it. And so here they are, and and all of a sudden, now we get to go back home. Home. A place of peace, right? A place place where we're established, a place of comfort, a place where we know what's going to happen next. And then all of a sudden, Joseph got up, verse number 21, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left to the region of Galilee so that the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Curveball number three, another prophecy fulfilled. I wrote this. I want you to write it down. Ready? I got two points in today's sermon. Aren't you happy? All right, write this down. Number one, sometimes it's the things that don't make sense today that are making the things of tomorrow possible. Sometimes it's the things that we are unaware of, of what God's doing. How many of you have ever had the time in your life where you're like, God, what are you up to? Or where are you at? Or why this way? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel comfortable. How many of you have been there? Slip a hand in the air. Say, hey, that's been me. How many of you have ever thought to yourself that God was moving opposed to you or moving against you or it wasn't working out the way you thought it would be? Yesterday, we celebrated our son's 10-year 
birthday. Couldn't, can't believe it. I can't believe I got a double-digit kid. Means we've been in our church 10 years. He was born um, literally the, a few days after our first service in this building. And, and um, actually uh, last week or the week before would have represented 10 years in this building. How cool. And we should celebrate the goodness of God and what he's done here. And um, now it's not just one building of, of 8,000 square feet. It's about 22,000 square feet and expanding as God's moving it. And while he's been good and completely debt free, we cannot do that without the grace and mercy of God. And so I, I sat there and I, I looked at him and I, I, I literally at one point when it was just me and him whispered in his ear and I said, I just want to say thank you. You made me a dad. Ten years ago, a lot of hopes and dreams were born in a hospital room at LeConte. I had no idea what was going to happen. Me and mama were, you know, in a whole new world. How many of y'all remember this moment in your life? Um, you, you, you thought you were prepared and you thought you had a plan and I had visions and dreams. I mean, I, I loved basketball my entire life. Lincoln and I were going to play basketball, and, you know, he was going to be my retirement plan. We were going to stretch his knees, Dusty, get him tall enough, send him to the NBA, and I was going to quit. And, um, you know, he was going to pay all my bills. That was the plan, right? And Not really, but I dreamed of how life would be. Looking at him yesterday, I realized that life has not been anything we dreamed it to be. Lincoln's had challenges from major surgeries when he was a little kid. Um, three major operations on his head um, before he was two years old and all these things. There's been a lot of scary moments and there's been a lot of un unknowns and there's been a lot of variables. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, while I wish I could take it away and give him the life I believe he deserves, I wouldn't trade the lessons that I've learned from God for anything. I wouldn't trade the blessings that we've received from God through our little boy for anything. How many of you be honest and say, marriage hasn't always gone the way you thought it was going to go. Maybe your job and career hasn't gone the path that you thought it was going to take. Maybe your children haven't uh, been the, 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 the fantasy that you thought it was going to be. And uh, your kids were never going to behave like anybody else you've ever seen in Walmart. And you, I mean, how many of you would be honest and say, you, you, you would look at your life now and realize that there have been a lot of twists and turns along the way. Say yes, if that's you. Yeah. Can I tell you this? What's so beautiful about those is, hey, life was going to be beautiful for Joseph and Mary. Then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, an angel shows up and changes everything. Hey, Joseph, your, your girlfriend, your fiance, she's pregnant and you're not going to break up with her. Oh, by the way, she's carrying the son of God. Good luck telling everybody about this. I mean, pretty much like have fun telling your mom and dad. Hey, Mary, you're chosen. The Lord's with you. Mary, how can this be? I'm just a lowly virgin. Jesus, one of the, my favorite verses in the Bible with men, this may seem impossible. Somebody finish this, ready? But with God, what? Aren't you thankful you serve a God of the impossible today? And I know sometimes I try so hard to hold my life together and hold my plans together. I, I try to hold deals together. I try to hold relationships together. I'm trying to hold churches together. If we're not careful, we try to hold the world together. And at some point, we've got to be open to God's twist and turn because God may need to take us to an Egypt metaphorically in our life, may need to take us to a Galilee metaphorically in our life because in his plan and in his prophecy that he's written for our lives, it goes a different way than our hopes and dreams. But know this to be true. 
that out of the twists and turns comes the fulfillment and the proof of God and comes the evidence of God made known to us. And then we get this word, this name of God that I am so thankful for, Emmanuel, where God is with us. And I'm gonna tell you this church and I want you to understand, God wants you more aware of his presence with you than he wants you aware of anything else in the world. He wants you more of aware of his love for you and towards you than he wants you to be confident in anything else in the world. And there's going to come times in life where it doesn't go exactly as planned. And in those moments, we have to trust that God is going to do something beautiful from it. God takes us through twists and turns so that he can prove himself in not just miraculous ways, but powerful ways that make him undeniable to a doubter or someone that has no faith, that makes him recognizable to someone who's looking and searching that, hey, sometimes we see a star that we got to follow not knowing where it's leading. Sometimes we encounter some Herods on the way that want to see the worst happen to our life. Pretend to be our friend. Oh, let me know where he's at so I can worship but literally wants to destroy us. Sometimes we have to go a different way, but rest assured, God will bring us back to the purpose of which he's called us if we remain faithful and true. Life sometimes is like Twister. Sometimes God is going to throw a curveball. Here's some reasons why. Let's write these down. Point number two. He requires our obedience. He requires our obedience. Somebody said, well, he requires our faith. Faith without obedience isn't faith at all. Obedience is the work that faith requires. Obedience is the response that God is calling us for. I I, I wrote down three things right here that God will twist and turn our lives for. And through our obedience, these are the results that will happen. So I'm, I'm calling out to anyone today who is at the, at the mindset of going a different way than God's plan or who is trusting maybe their ways over God's ways. I, I'm calling up today anybody who's leaning more on the opinions of others than on the word of God. Obedience is the way to show you believe, yes, but it's also the way for these three things to happen in your life. Sometimes God will call a twist and turn because he's giving us a clear direction direction that will move our lives in a way different than we want it to go. Ready? Look at this. Go back. In, in, in the very first part of this, it says, after the wise men were gone, verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, what? Get up and flee to Egypt. Is there any question about it? Where do they need to go? When do they need to go? Why do they need to go? So yeah, because God said so. Okay, that's all the parents in the room just said that one. All right, my, my, my daughter's in the Y phase and that is literally, I thought, I always said, I've even said it from this stage, I will never be the parent that says, because I said so. I've said it a hundred times this week, right? Like, why? Because I said so. Okay, every mom and dad just exposed themselves. Why did they need to leave? Because Herod was gonna kill the babies. It was danger. Hey, can I tell you this right now? Uh, We are living in a world of compromise when it comes to the faith and the things that we should be believing in God, when we should be living in a world of people who say, in God's love, I will never compromise his truth. We're living in a world that says, "I, I, I don't know what to do when the world disagrees with God. 
And the truth is, we have a word of God. We don't need an angel of God. We have God's word in black and white and red and white on pages of our Bible, inspired by God, breathed through the Holy Spirit, put in our hands, and we have it. We don't need to ask for a sign. We don't need to ask for a list. God's given us Galatians and Ephesians, Colossians, with all kinds of lists in it on things to do and not do. We've got the revelations to tell us what's going to happen and what we should do in the end times. We've got all the other gospels to tell us what to do now. We've got the Old Testament, which is a total script of what not to do and how to make it right if you've done what you shouldn't do. How many of you got it? Say yes. Understand this today. We need believers that understand the obedience of God means that we will follow his directions because God knows where we should go and what route is best for us. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We will hide his word in our hearts so that we will not say it. Sin against God. Today, understand this. You might need to get to Egypt and it might not make sense. You might need to stand for what's right in your home and it might not make sense. Do what God has said because it leads to number two. Not only is God going to give you clear direction, but God's going to give you protection. He's going to protect you. He's going to protect your family from the plot of the enemy. Hey, get up and flee to where? Egypt. Why? The enemy is after you. Hey, there is a roaring lion going back and forth. What's the rest of the verse, church? Seeking who he can devour. He's not a kitty cat coming up to be pet. He is a ferocious beast coming up to destroy. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Say that with me. Ready? Kill, steal, destroy. Say it again. Kill, steal, destroy. There is no safe sin. None. There is no safe disobedience to God. None. Hey, I'm telling you this now. If God says give, give. If he says go, go. If he says do, do. If he says don't, don't. You say why? Because he's trying to direct your life to what's best. But also he's trying to protect your life from what's trying to destroy it. The enemy wants to destroy your home. Wants to take out your marriage. Wants to take out your children. I mean, how many of you get mad when your kid's being bullied? Any parents in here ever experienced that? What do you want to do? Whitney, you want a microphone? What do you want to do? Like when somebody's bullying your kids, what would you want to do? Tell me. Huh? Go fight their parents. Okay, all right. She'll go for the kids. She's going after mom and dad. There's a little gangster in her, all right? How How many of you are like, I'm in that gang? Yeah, let's go. Right? Like, don't mess with my babies. Don't you think that there's a God in heaven that feels the same way? Sitting on his throne today, watching every demon, watching the enemy as he's coming against your family. And there's a God that declares war against every attack against you. A God that declares war against every demonic plan, against every evil stronghold. There is a God who is warring for you. And obedience allows him to fight the battles you can't see while protecting the babies you need to hold while protecting the plans and purposes for your life, the relationships, the friendships, the churches, the people around you. Why do we need to obey when twists and turns happen? Because we have no idea what the enemy's up to. But God does. 
I've often said it this way, and please, if you want a one little sentence way of remembering this, write this down. God doesn't just know the plans he has for you. He knows the plans the enemy has against you. And I promise you, he's working on behalf of both. He's working for your good. Which brings me to the last point of the day. Why is obedience important? Because God wants to fulfill the plan and prophecy he has declared over your life. I mean, look at this. Go back. This had to happen so that this could be fulfilled. Oh, Bethlehem, you're not insignificant. This had to happen so that this could be fulfilled. I called my son out of Egypt. Thank God that's my story. I'm a son of God that's been called out of Egypt. Who in here has been bound by sin or afflicted by addiction or hurt and pain that's so great that it caused you to to, to lose parts of your life or surrender years of your life, decades to the wrong things? Anybody in here? Hey, aren't you glad to be a son and daughter called out of Egypt? God called us out, called us out. Hey, I'm going to tell you this right now. He could not be savior of sins unless he had been to the place of sinners. And that is what Egypt represents. And I'm telling you right now, if you've been to your Egypt, God will pull you out to help rescue others that have gone through their Egypts too. God will use that to fulfill his plan and purpose for your life. And then the last one, this was fulfilled so that he could be called a Nazarene. How many of you remember the story that says, nothing good comes from Nazareth? How many of you have ever heard, well, nothing good's ever come out of your family? There's no way God can use you. Or maybe... Maybe you've heard you're too dumb to accomplish anything. Maybe you're too poor to be recognized. Maybe you've been told, don't ever write that letter. Nobody's ever going to read it. Your politician ain't going to read it. This ain't going to happen. You're, you're little. I think the enemy loves to belittle what God has empowered. Yeah. And I go back to Exodus where it says, Pharaoh looked out and said, they outnumber us and they are stronger than us. And if they ever find out, they will wreck and ruin us. So let's make their workload 10 times harder so that these people that are stronger and more powerful and more numerous than us will stay in bondage instead of walking in freedom. And I'm telling you today, I am so glad that God sent his son, a little Nazarene out of a place of worthlessness where nothing good has ever come from to scream to every other person who has felt insignificant, every person who has felt little, every person who has felt like they don't matter or that the decisions they're making aren't going to impact the world to tell them that you are powerful today and that from your little town of Nazareth, from your little testimony, from your broken, from your poor, from your hurting, from your longing, from your story, the King of Kings is going to be made known and thousands will come to him as a result of your little insignificant life. I believe the Christmas story is full of twists and turns, just like your story and just like mine. I believe that sometimes the things that don't make sense today make the things of tomorrow possible. I believe that obedience to God will give you clear direction, will give you protection, and that one day we will stand in heaven and say, it's been finished. The work you started in me, completed. I don't know about you, but we live in a world who likes to make others feel less. But we serve a God who likes to take the less and make them more. Those that humble themselves, he will what? Exalt. Those that bow the knee, he lifts. Those that exalt themselves, what happens? He humbles. 
All we know about Herod is he tried and died. I mean, that, can we write that about Matthew chapter number two? Here's Herod's part. He tried, he died. It didn't work. May it be said at the end of your lives that you believe that the Herods, the evil that's against you, will come to an end. They will never defeat the power of a God that loves you so much, and they will never be able to change his mind, his love, or his plan when it comes to your life. That the enemy that has a plot against you cannot succeed against the plan that God has for you. And today, your obedience will lead to a life to where one day we can say, plan fulfilled, prophecy satisfied, because out of this twist and turn, this prophecy of God in my life was fulfilled. Isn't that a hopeful statement? So bow your heads and close your eyes. Today you're a part of a sermon that's a miracle. You're going to get out early. Right? John said amen. All right. Here we go. He's moved. Sometimes it doesn't take a long time to get God's point across. Literally, can I tell you what my fight was with this sermon? Is I wanted to add more. Sometimes I don't think you need to add to God's story, do you? Sometimes you just take it as simply as it's put right where it's at. How many of you would be honest right now and say that your life has had those twists and turns? Slip a hand up in the air. How many of you'd say there's things in your life, maybe even now that you're praying about that just don't make sense? There's things ahead of you that just don't, hey, it has today. How many of you can say, but I have hope because of what God did through Joseph and Mary's story that God's using the twist and the turns to do something amazing in mind. Would you slip your hand up and say, God, I receive your truth. I believe your word and I trust the possibilities of what you'll do through this moment for your glory and for your kingdom. So be it, I will obey. If that's you today, will you say those three words with me? I will obey. No matter what compromise, I will obey. No matter what threat against me, I will obey. No matter how scary or how unclear it seems, I, come on church, will obey. I will obey. And truth is this, if that is the the scream of your heart, I will obey, then the next three words are true too. You will succeed. In Jesus' name, you will succeed. What a truth today, amen? With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody today, say, pray for me, Josh. I am a believer, but sometimes my faith gets shaky in the twist and turn seasons of life. Are you like me? Would you slip a hand up? I need your prayer. I'll tell you publicly. Anybody pray for me, brother Josh. Pray with me. Sometimes my faith gets a little shaky in the twists and the turns. All right, there's a lot of us. How many of you'd say that, hey, yes, though, today maybe the prayer is, God, help my unbelief. How many of you would still say this confidently? That yes, you believe in him as Savior and Lord, but you also believe in him as daily provider, daily protector, daily leader. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up and say, my God truly is almighty, in control of all, in all, and living through all. If you believe that today, slip your hand up in the air, slip it up high, and say, thank you, God, for being the only God that rules and reigns from power and authority from now till forever and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. That I'm going to ask you a last question. And I want you to think deep about this. Almost every hand in this auditorium said they're going through some twist and turn. Will you stay aware that your life isn't the only one going through an Egypt or a Galilee or some other way? The people around you are too. 
And while you have a faith and a recognition, and God's delivered a sermon to you through his word that'll give you an awareness that sometimes God used the twists and turns for his good to fulfill his prophecy, that maybe the people you're coming in contact with this week don't have that awareness. And through your life, may the king's story be told. May his love be experienced and may faith be found in others. Sometimes we use these sermons and if we're not careful, we start inward focus and say, okay, God, I will obey. But obedience says, okay, God, I will be aware of others and I will obey pouring into their needs and be a little bit more patient this time of year. Be a little humble this time of year. Be generous this time of year. Be caring this time of year. By the end of the day, not one kid's name left on a tree. By the end of the day, not one person's still in need. By the end of the day, God, through my life and my awareness of you, help me to be aware of others and take these opportunities to make you known. Is there anybody here that would say, God, help me not only see my twist and turn seasons, but help me see the twist and turns in others. Help me to love them right, be patient with them, and share a truth with them that would change their life. Is there anybody here that would say, not just about me, God, but for your glory, make my life about others. Make this season about others. Would you slip a hand to heaven and say, God, here I am. Use me. Use me. Keep me aware. Keep me aware.